Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, it, is a, it really is a humbling thing and an overwhelming prospect to, to stand before people and to open up your holy scriptures and to, to know that you are going out through your people, through your word, through the power of your spirit, and you are changing lives. So Father, I pray tonight that you would cleanse my heart that you would open all of our hearts to be receptive to your word, to you. I pray that we would seek to find that perfect state of being in Christ and that you would change our hearts and our minds and our motives as a result of knowing you deeper and loving you more. Use tonight to empower us as your church to go out into this world and to see you do restorative work to redeem a broken world by your power, for your glory alone. We ask this in the name, above all names, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Please be seated for tonight's scripture reading. Today's scripture reading is from Colossians chapter 1, verse 21 to 29. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. This is the word of the Lord. Perfection. It's warming up outside, so it's, it's beach season. So we are hearing lots of things about getting that perfect beach body, right? We Google how to get that perfect beach body, and, and you get these choices. There's uh, the first top, top forward, 10 steps to a perfect beach body. A perfect body in 90 days. Not sure how long those steps are, but then there's six ways to a perfect beach body, which to me sounds better than the 10 steps. And then, get this, get your perfect 
beach body ever, or the best beach body ever, in wait for it, 21 days. That's the one I want to do, right? Top searches, if you just type in on Google, I want to have perfect. The top four fill in the blanks are this skin. People want perfect skin. Second was body. We want a perfect body. The third was teeth. We want perfect teeth. And then fourth and final, legs. We want perfect legs. I've never thought of wanting perfect legs I, I, until I Googled that. Maybe, maybe you strive for perfection in your life, but it's in a different area. Maybe it's in you want to be a perfect husband or wife or you want to be a perfect mom or dad. Maybe you want to be a perfect computer programmer, perfect student, perfect report cards. Maybe you want to be a perfect teacher or a perfect friend. What about a perfect artist? Or maybe you strive like some of us and you want to be a perfect preacher. Maybe you don't think you struggle with wanting to strive for perfection. So I want to share with you an article of 14 signs that your perfectionism is out of control. You ready? Number one, you're always eager to please. That's not a good sign. Number two, you know your perfectionism hurts you, but you believe it's the price you have to pay in order to succeed. That's not a good sign. Number three, you're a huge procrastinator. You struggle with perfectionism. Number four, you're highly critical of others. Number five, that your perfectionism is out of control is do you go big or you go home? Number six, you have a hard time opening up to people. Number seven, you know there's no crying over spilled milk, but you do it anyway. Number eight, you take everything personally. Number nine, you get really defensive when criticized. Number ten, you're never quite there yet. Number eleven, I'm going to show you a picture on this one. This picture makes you nervous. You don't want to be average. Number 12, you take pleasure in others' failures even when it has nothing to do with you. Number 13, you get secretly nostalgic for the old school days. And number 14, you have a guilty soul. These are signs that in some way you might be struggling with perfectionism according to an article written in 2013, November, that was published in the Huffington Post. But maybe you're the opposite where you don't struggle with being perfect, but maybe you embrace or you glory in the fact that you can't be perfect, so let's fail like crazy. So you let yourself go. You stop caring about everything because you know you can't be perfect. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, 
you just really don't care. You know you're not perfect, so why bother? In your opinion, it's better to let the world simply go about its business and let it happen around you. Both of those extremes are are views or struggles that we have because of the world we live in. Neither or are God's design for our lives. He created us originally in a perfect existence, but it was our rebellion against him that caused sin and death to enter the world. Our hearts, when we are apart from God, are broken. Our hearts are rebellious, and we are extremely self-centered. What if striving for perfection caused us to be miserable and led to our demise? What if the other side of it, that we embrace failure, is what if it caused us to live a life of wallowing in defeat and also creating misery for other people? At the core, the strive for Perfection is not a bad thing. At its center, we know as people that something is missing, and we're seeking that. We're craving an experience so that we can have peace in our lives, in our world. We want joy. We want, I just wish everything could be perfect. Listen to what Paul wrote here in this section of this letter that we're preaching through to the church at Colossae. Colossae. said it wrong. Chapter 1, verse 28 and 29. This is what Paul writes in this section. He says, Him, and he's speaking of Christ in this moment, he said, Christ we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature. That word there, in some translations, is rendered the word perfect, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ, complete, whole, perfect. In verse 29, for this, presenting everyone perfect, this is what I toil, I'm struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. See, goal, Paul's goal for his life was to present everyone Perfect, mature, complete in Christ. Not on their own. His goal is perfection. But what did he mean by perfection? Today I want us to see at least three ways that we find our perfection in Christ. The first one is this. If you want to take notes on the back of your folder or Scratch paper, you can do that. The first one is this. Perfection is hopeless without grace. Perfection is hopeless without grace. And so for us to find our perfection in Christ, we have to understand without His grace, it's hopeless. If we're trying to meet and attain perfection on our own, we are setting ourselves up for failure. If you've ever tried to live a perfect day or a perfect week or a perfect uh, year even, it's exhausting. It really is. I remember some of the best moments I've had of prayer have been first thing in the morning, and I am on top of the world, and I feel like God is at the center of my life, and I go upstairs, 
and the kids say or do something, and immediately I lost my perfection for the day. It was gone. I'm imperfect. I can't go very long without making some type of mistake. So how can I be perfect in Christ? What did Paul mean here? Look with me in Colossians chapter 1, verse 21 and 22. We're going back to the beginning of tonight's section. He says, and you, and he's writing to Christians, he says, you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So he was telling these people who are Christians now, he said, you were once alienated, you were separated, you were not within the family of God. Not only were you alienated and separated from God, but you were hostile in your mind toward him. You know what that means? It means you hated God. You were his enemy. You detested him. This is what he is saying, and, and that's what it means when we are enemies of God, that we hate him because we blame him for our lives and many other reasons. But he said, by God's grace, you were his enemy and you hated him. But by his grace, he has now reconciled you. He has now made peace between you and your creator. And he has done that through his son, Jesus. And because of what Christ has done for us, by being the sacrifice for us and, and being the payment for sin, instead of being haters of God and aliens separated from Him, we change. And in that second verse, we saw that we become holy and blameless. Holy is who God is. And by God's grace, we become holy and blameless. We, we are pure. We are without fault. We are innocent. We are perfect. And he throws in a third thing. He says, and you are beyond reproach. Which means, listen, it would be wrong for anyone to criticize you. You're beyond criticism when you are in Christ. Am I the only one here that hates being criticized? I can't stand it. I, I'd like to blame my dad, but, but he's here, so I won't do that. I'll wait till next week to bring him up. I don't like being criticized. But when I find myself in Christ, God tells me, and He looks at me, and He says, Daniel, you are beyond criticism. Why is that? Because in Christ, God views me the same way He views His Son Jesus, and He sees me as perfection. Holy, blameless, without flaw, without fault. So this is who we are in the eyes of the Lord when we are in Christ. On our own, now the blinders come off at some point and we realize that we can't live up to this standard of perfection. No matter how hard we try, sooner or later we will fail. I hope if you still have those blinders on and you're trying to be perfect on your own, I hope those blinders come off today and you realize that no matter how hard you try, you can't do it. Because at that point, 
you're able to realize that Christ has done it for you. Trying to live a perfect life leaves you empty and drained, void of any joy that comes from knowing God. You will fail. And it's only by God's grace that we can find perfection. But that perfection endures eternally. So when we try to be perfect on our own, outside of God's grace, we set ourselves up for certain failure. It's only by the grace of God, through the work of Christ, by which we can find perfection. So the first thing is that perfection is hopeless without grace. The second one is this. Perfection includes sacrificial suffering. Sounds fun, right? Sacrificial suffering. So there's a false teaching that it's easy for us to go under and and even find ourselves if we read the Scriptures a certain way. There's a false teaching that says life is easier once we are a Christian. Oftentimes, that false teaching leads us to despair as we give our lives to Christ and, and we maybe ride a euphoric wave or a high, if you will, of this new life with God and new purpose, and things do seem to go better, and then we crash and we think, oh, well, this really wasn't worth it. This isn't what I signed up for. I I became a Christian and my life got better. Either I'm doing something wrong or Christianity is void of truth. Maybe it's not true after all when we hit rough times. But we are called as Christians for whatever divine reasons God has to go through different seasons of suffering. And we are called to live a life of sacrifice as well. If you want to get wick, get wick, get rich quick, or get perfect quick plan so that you can have your desires met, then Christianity is not for you. Colossians chapter 1, verse 24, Paul picks up and he's writing here. He says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. So he's suffering for them, he's rejoicing in his sufferings. For their sake, in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of the body, his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. So he talked about my sufferings for your sake. Our sufferings that we are called to go through, like Paul, have purpose. Paul was taking on a massive amount of attention in his day. He was a hot target. He would be America's most wanted if they had that at that point. People wanted him, and he was in prison, so he was taking a lot of the brunt of the persecution for Christianity. But he said, all of this weight is coming onto me, and I'm in prison, and I'm actually rejoicing in the fact that they're concentrating on me so much because you are taking the gospel to the world. They think they're stopping it and they're snuffing out Christianity, but they don't know the message, the good news that we have, and you're proclaiming it all around. So he was glad because he realized he was suffering for a purpose. While they were focused on him, they were free to grow in their faith and to spread the faith of Christ. Our sufferings are not only for our individual lives. God has taught me things through times of suffering 
oftentimes, I mistakenly think that I go through those sufferings so that I can get closer to God in my personal life. And I stop there. That is true. As Caden would say, well, that is true. That's my son. He's eight. That's what he says. But it's more than that. We suffer for the sake of others as well. Oftentimes we seek perfect, perfection in our lives for selfish reasons. We want our bodies to look good so people will say, wow, you have a great body. We want to be perfect at our job so people will say, wow, you are an amazing fill in the blank. We desire people to praise us and so we strive for perfection. So when we suffer, we're not really caring at that moment about the benefits for us or the benefits of others because it hurts us and we want nothing to do with it. Many times we suffer and wonder why we are suffering, especially if we're trying to do God's will. And the reason is, God is using that for our sake and for the sake of others. You will go through times that are tough, but when you know that you're supposed to go through tough times, then that purpose and the strength of God will drive you through them. Suffering is part of the perfecting process. Our perfection is found in Christ, and the second way is suffer, or sacrificial suffering. That's part of that perfecting process of us becoming perfect or mature or complete in Christ. Giving our lives, this is important, for the sake of others is a necessary, powerful piece in our perfection. We realize our perfection isn't for our individual lives, but for the good of the entire body of Christ. It really isn't about me. It's about the church that God has empowered. Perfection found in Christ, it's hopeless without grace. It includes sacrificial suffering. And the third thing is this. Perfection is found because Christ lives in us. That's how perfection is found. The Christian life is lived with God, and the power of God lives within us. Other religions have followers go through this list of things that they must do in order to prove themselves worthy to God. But that is not what Christianity does. We admit that we can't prove our worthiness to God by singing songs, only you are holy, only you are worthy, only you are wonderful. There's no one else like you. That's the Christian hope, is we cannot be holy. And we admit that, and it's by God's grace that we are rescued from death and given new life in Christ. And it is by God's grace that Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, comes and He lives within us, and we can now live by His perfecting power. So it's not just that God saves us and rescues us from death by His grace, and by His presence, but we continue in our life with Him by His power and grace. Look with me in Colossians 1, verses 25 through 27. He says, "...of which I became a minister 
according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is, and here's the mystery, Christ in you, or Christ living in you. The hope of glory. So that word Christ in you tells us that it is Christ in us that is this great mystery. It is through the Holy Spirit that He lives within us, and it's through the Holy Spirit, or through whom, by which we are never alone. He says the riches of the glory of the mystery There's wealth and there's security. There's this secret right, this mystery that comes along. And it is Christ who is in us. And then he says, the last part, the hope of glory. Listen to this. It is Christ whom we hope for. But it is Christ who is the basis of our hope. This series is called Simply Jesus. And Paul is telling us, that our desire, our hope, is this person of Christ. But it is also this person of Christ that is the basis of our hope. So it's a self-feeding cycle. It is He who He hopes for, but it is also Him who gives us the basis of all hope. Perfection in Christ. Perfection is hopeless without grace. It includes sacrificial suffering. And it only comes because Christ lives in us. So what does perfection mean to a Christian? We heard how perfectionism can affect our lives and we can become defensive to criticism and we can uh, have all these other issues in our lives because of perfectionism. So what does finding our perfection in Christ mean? Here it is. Perfection is not that I now become a perfect person, never to fail again. But it is Christ who has become perfect, and I find my identity, my value, my worth, and my purpose in Him alone. It is this that leads me to live and to love like Jesus. I want to read from a devotional by Oswald Chambers. It's called My Utmost for His Highest. Here's an excerpt from it. Christian perfection is not, and never can be, human perfection. Christian perfection is the perfection of a relationship with God that shows itself to be true even amid the seemingly unimportant aspects of of human life. When you obey the call of Jesus Christ, the first thing that hits you is the pointlessness of the things you have to do. The next thought that strikes you is that other people seem to be living perfectly consistent lives. Such lives may leave you with the idea that God is unnecessary, that through your own human effort and devotion, you can attain God's standard for your life. In a fallen world, this can never be done. 
I am called to live in such a perfect relationship with God that my life produces a yearning for God in the lives of others, not admiration for myself. Thoughts about myself hinder my usefulness to God. God's purpose is not to perfect me, to make me a trophy in His showcase, but He is getting me to the place where He can use me. Let Him do what He wants. So perfection in Christianity is not me straining and trying and doing all I can to live perfectly to prove myself and to to find value in what you think of me. But perfection in Christ is to realize, you ready? I already have all that I need in Christ. It's there. I am above criticism. I am beyond it. In Christ, I am perfect, pure, blameless, faultless. I have a fantastic beach body, according to God. I am excited about that. When we are in Him, we are perfect. And then now, when I am perfect in Christ, I am not thinking about myself. I don't wake up in the morning, man, my kids really need to respect me today, because if they don't, I'm going to get angry. When I am living in the perfection of Christ, I don't need their respect. I don't need the honor from anyone else because I have perfection in Christ. When I am perfect in Christ, I don't want people to praise me. I want them to praise God. Worldly perfection is never attainable. We will never be the perfect person, worker, spouse, parent. We will make mistakes. But that mindset, even if we're striving for that, is still centered on ourselves. It's self-centered. And the opposite, as we talked about earlier, embracing failure and just saying to heck with it and uh, just doesn't matter, just do what you want to do. We don't want to give up because we can't be perfect because... God hasn't asked us to be without fault. Just because we can't be perfect doesn't mean we should give up either. That mindset still is self-centered. I can't be perfect, so I'm not going to care. But Jesus was perfection for us. He attained what we could not do. He was 100% obedient to the law of God. He found a way to live the perfect life. And the way He finished His perfect life was giving His life for the sake of others. This is what we are now challenged to do. This is how we, as Christians, define perfection. The pressure to be perfect, to live up to a perfect standard, does not exist in the Christian teaching. Oh, I thought you were a Christian thought you were perfect. That's actually not in the Christian teaching to live up to the world's standards of perfection. But the call for us to be perfect most certainly is our calling from God. Jesus said in Matthew 5, be perfect because the Father is perfect. And what He meant 
is that your life isn't about you becoming perfect so people will praise you as a trophy of God. But your life is to be perfect and mature in Christ so that all the praise that people might give to you, you want to go to God. That is the perfect Christian life. Perfection is attainable because Jesus redefined clearly for us what perfection is. When we get to the point where we desire others to desire God, we are living the perfection God has designed for us. So Paul is pointing us back to one simple point. He says, our perfection is found in simply Jesus. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, you are perfect, pure, holy, and blameless. You alone deserve praise because of who you are. We praise you for becoming perfection on our behalf and then graciously giving us your righteousness. You have earned our grace for us and we praise you. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us, that we would be sacrificial in our suffering, that we would deflect praise from ourselves directly to you. May we know your love so richly that we don't desire for anyone to praise us for our name's sake. May our hearts desire to know you and for others to know you more than anything else. Lord, thank you for living within your people by the power of your Spirit and strengthen us to strive for perfection by living our lives so others would praise you and not us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. At this point, we're going to uh, have a time of response. There are a few ways we can respond to God's message tonight. The first is to come and to, to kneel down here at the altar during this song. If there's something that you want to pray about, this is the time to do that. You can pray here, you can pray there, where you are. I'm actually going to stand over to the side too. If you're needing prayer with me, I would be honored to pray with you, however God is leading you. The second way we can respond is after praying and confessing is we have an opportunity to come to the Lord's table. We have a chance to do communion every week here at Connection Church. and So for all who are wanting to have their faith in Christ, this invitation is for you. If you are a Christian or you're committing to be a Christian today, this is a chance for you to come and partake of this new covenant of grace that God is offering to you through Jesus. We are hopeless without His grace, but because of the work of the Lord Jesus and the grace of God, perfection is attainable for us. So in just a moment, we'll invite you to come down the center aisle. There'll be a plate of bread that's already been cut for you. You'll take a piece of bread. The words, Christ's body broken for you, will be spoken to you. You'll take that piece of bread and step over to the cups. One cup is wine, the other cup is juice. You dip your piece of bread into the cup of your choice, and the words will be spoken to you, Christ's blood poured out for you as a new covenant. Today, as you take communion, receive the perfection of Christ. As a Christian, when we take communion, we are saying, Jesus, 
the only thing about me worthy of praise is the fact that I belong to you. And today I am expressing that I belong to you. I am yours, and because of this covenant of grace, I know that you are holding on to me, and I am eternally yours. Receive the new covenant of grace today. I'll pray for us to prepare for communion. And this is a time for us also to confess our sins, our imperfections, and prepare our hearts to receive Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for what communion means. That we have a relationship, a great relationship with You. When we forsake the world, when we turn from making ourselves the God or the Lord of our lives, and we trust in You, Jesus, as our King, our Savior, and our Lord. I know this week I have failed many times. And to tell people that we can find perfection in You is a struggle for me at times. Because it's hard for me to focus on Your perfection when I see how imperfect I am. So Lord, right now I confess that I have sinned against You this week. I have chosen to do my own thing several times. And I repent of those things. And today I come boldly to Your table and I receive the grace that You paid such a great cost for and give so freely to us. Thank You, Jesus, for enduring our shame and our suffering. And I pray that we would follow You and love You more and more for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. As soon as the musicians have completed communion, we invite you to come and partake.